0: This is the Oklahoma Talking Company. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for coming around again. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are
1: tonight's entertainment.
0: Hey, what's shaking, cats and kittens? Welcome to the OKC Show. I'm your host, Jason Baffrey. It's my pleasure to be with you once again. Don't forget, you can listen to us at Oklahoma Talking Co. That's Oklahoma Talking.co. Also on the iTunes podcast app, if you have an iPhone, you can also listen to us on the Spreaker app and the Overcast app. And you can also get Spreaker on your Android device. So if you uh, have one of those Samsung phones or something, you can listen to us there as well. Our guest today is Marshall Matlock, a name you may or may not recognize, but uh, he's a great guy who has uh, a very interesting story. And you may have heard of the organization that he founded uh, just a few years ago. It is called the Swab Squad. And Marshall, welcome to the OKC Show. Glad you're here. Thanks, Jason. Good to be here. For the people that may not be aware, uh, tell us about the Swab Squad. What is it? Um, The Swap Squad
1: is an organization we've created that's a portable pop-up marrow drive. So we are actually attending events uh, around Oklahoma City and, and sometimes outside of Oklahoma City, um, trying to spread the word about the need for marrow donors um, to try to dispel myths around the marrow process um, and donation and and ultimately recruit donors. So swab squad comes uh, from the actual process to join. A lot of people think it's they, – they associate it with a painful process or they think there's giving blood or something difficult. Um, it's actually a cheek swab. So we do it at events. We have kits where we – Um, There's a one-page application where folks can fill out and then swab their cheek, and they become a potential life-saving marrow donor for a blood cancer patient. And how
0: long ago did you start Swab Squad? Uh,
1: We started Swab Squad in in spring of 13. So our first event was uh, Better Block OKC in, in April of 2013.
0: Okay. And the interesting thing about this is you didn't start this uh, out of just uh, concern for looking for a cause to be involved with. Uh, You have a personal story. In 2009, uh, you were diagnosed with, with leukemia.
1: That's right. Yeah, it's it's you know as personal as it gets for me. So I was I'm from Oklahoma City, but was living and working in in Kansas City since 2005. I was working for a healthcare IT company, um, you know, just chugging along, doing my thing, and and I had never had any health problems. You know, I was the standard, you know, once a once a year checkup to get the discount on our on our um, health insurance. And uh, one of the things I learned in that is, is most times uh, a complete blood count a is CBC isn't something that's required or normally done because of cost at, um, for young people at a yearly checkup, but that's something that you should definitely ask for uh, as you'll find out. So um, I, I didn't feel sick. Uh, my ultimate diagnosis ended up being acute myelogenous leukemia, which is, which is a blood cancer, um, specifically with the white cells in your blood marrow. Um, but I didn't feel sick. I felt fine. Uh, I, was, I played a lot of intramural softball and football and different sports and, and had a very active life and, and was starting to just ha- experience joint pain. So it started with my wrist where I, you know I was I was working a, a job with you know 50 hours a week and so I was spending a lot of time on a computer and felt like, hey you know I'm starting to experience some repetitive stress I guess so I would you know switch and, and start mousing with my left hand and, and eventually that joint pain in my wrist um, started experiencing it and in, in all of my joints. Um, and became persistent in my right knee to the point where, you know, I was taking a leave all the time and, and still having trouble playing. And so thought I should probably get this checked out. So I went, saw an orthopedist um, and they decided to, to scope my right knee. Uh, they saw lots of inflammation, but no mechanical reasons why I should be experiencing that kind of pain. Uh, went through a couple of rounds of physical therapy and, and uh, my physical therapist said, Hey, you know, I don't know what this is, but it's not getting better. I think maybe you have rheumatoid arthritis. So I want you to go See a rheumatologist, and and maybe they can figure out what's going on. So um, that process took uh, about six months. Um, so I went down to see the rheumatologist. He was the first one that did blood work throughout that process, and said, "Hey, you know." Your your whites and reds are super low uh, for a healthy young male. This doesn't make sense. Something's up. I want you to go see a hematologist. Never never really saying, hey, this might be cancer. We're looking for cancer. Um, so you know, maybe I was naive, but I didn't really know exactly what they were looking for. So yeah, but, um, and
0: we should point out. I mean. Y- you 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 talked about playing sports, but I mean you're you are a young guy, but I mean you're in your 20s at this time, and you're having this joint pain, and they're saying that it could be rheumatoid arthritis, which I know is something that affects uh, different ages, but
1: I mean, it would you're have a been young, unusual, but not uh, but not unprecedented. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, for a lot of people, that's a really devastating diagnosis. It's you know something you're going to live with the rest of your life, and there are drugs that treat it, but it's not it's not curable. So. Um, You know, it's different than cancer. Obviously, it was not going to be good news, so I was prepared for bad news potentially. Um, So I went to see the hematologist. She did a a bone marrow biopsy, which is um, they actually just take a needle and go into the to your pelvis through the hip and take out a core of of liquid marrow and then smear it and take a look. So, um, uh, you know, a couple of weeks, they called me, said, "Okay, your results are, are in." And so I showed up straight from work. You know, I had my briefcase and I was dressed for work and. Uh, Not really knowing exactly what to expect, and and she sat me down. She said, "You know, hey, this is this is leukemia. Um, Time is of the essence. We want to admit you to the hospital right now,
0: and we want to start chemo tonight." And, you know, that (laughs) is is that I mean, that seems uh, unusual to me. I don't hear a lot of stories where they're like, we have to go now uh, for a cancer related type thing.
1: Yeah. So leukemia is different than a lot of cancers. It's not measured in stages. Um, It's measured in percentage of blasts. A blast is a um, immature white cell. Essentially, it's a non-functioning white blood cell. And what happens is based on that percentage of your volume of the blood, it crowds out the volume in your blood and and prevents healthy cells from existing. And once you get to 100%, that would be 100% blast, 0% functioning cells, and for all intents and purposes, zero immune system. So I was at 70%. Oh, wow. So, So that was what was driving that, and them knowing that it was acute in nature, the AMLA is acute. Um, in that it's it's rapidly um, growing and multiplying like all cancers, um, but time was of the essence at that point.
0: How long do you know, like from? How long does it grow to the, get to the point to where it's 70%? I mean, had it been something that had been building? Do they have any idea? I don't really works? know. Like yeah. I
1: said, because I they hadn't done any blood work prior to that time, okay. I didn't really have a baseline to measure. I, I knew when I started having the, experiencing the joint pain, um, but not necessarily, you know, I didn't have a, a baseline blood work to to compare it to so
0: okay so the doctor tells you you have leukemia we need to get started with treatment right now tonight mm-hmm. and i mean that obviously upends your entire life at that point
1: it's a shock to the system and it's you know it pushes itself to the forefront and that's all you're thinking about so um you know and i've heard a lot of people ex, you know explain describe that that um, instance where you're being told hey you have cancer and I think it's different for everyone but I had I think what was a what was a pretty typical reaction like I've it was it was, you know, I kind of had saw white and felt lightheaded and sat down. And she's like, I'll get you a drink of water. And then, um, you know, that lasted about a minute and a half. And, and then it was just, all right, let's beat it. What do we do? So I walked out of her office. Uh, she was in the hospital system. So I was already connected to the hospital. So I was just walking over while they were already working on my middle paperwork. Um, I stopped and called my mom. And uh, she's, a, she's a principal in war, or was. She's just recently retired. Um, and, uh, I said, Hey, um, this is cancer and they're admitting me right now. And she said, okay, let's say a prayer. And then we finished praying. She said, okay, I'm on my way. And she told her assistant principal that, Hey, I gotta go. And she had a year and a half or so of sick days built up. And so she came up and was essentially with me for the next six months in Kansas city while I, while I received treatment and, and ultimately, uh, you know, recovered. So, mm-hmm. and how long did that process take? Well, in, initially, um, for for ML, the plan was um, an inpatient thirty day inpatient stay, and they give what's called a seven three um, chemotherapy regimen, which is a combo therapy of one continuous twenty four hour infusion of one type of chemotherapy, and then the first three days they come in and push just once another kind of chemotherapy. And the only time I unhooked. From, from the IV um, is I would take a shower every night for around an hour um, they would reset the bag and then change my bed and hook me back up and so that was my life for the first 30 days oh wow so around fourteen days after they begin that process, they you reach what they call nadir, which is bottoming out. So your literally your blood is empty. So no red cells, no white cells, no platelets. So you're completely vulnerable to everything. So that was kind of the big speech as as I was admitted that night was at KU was, hey, you know, you're you're susceptible to everything. And the thing that, that is going to kill you is not the, not the leukemia. It's the thing that you catch while you're immunosuppressed. Mm-hmm. So touching, being around anyone sick or touching anything dirty or anything, you know, they kind of, you know, put the fear of God into it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. are you
0: in the hospital while they're, I'm in the hospital? Yeah. yeah. So, so, I, and, so and they're not just putting you in a bubble.
1: No, it's not quite like that. Um, and, and you know, just by luck, um, University of Kansas Hospital has a bone marrow transplant unit. So, so it's separated and off by itself, and, and you know it has an airlock where people kind of scrub down and scrub anything they're bringing in. But the you know everyone in there is is immunosuppressed to some level that's dangerous. So they don't let you bring in prepared food, and you know it's very specific. And so I felt safe. I felt like they could they could protect me there. So when you reach that that nadir, that 14 days. Um, they do a bone marrow biopsy again, so they'll you know take it local anesthesia, just just shoot it in your in your back lower back and and take it out. That's when they confirm 14 days after my diagnosis that I was already in remission. So I've been remissed since that day. Unfortunately, over that course. So the course was um, sorry. Let me back up. Um, the induction round of chemo, which is 30 days inpatient, and then four more rounds of what they call consolidated therapy, which is outpatient. Um, I come into their outpatient clinic and then take a backpack, an infusion pump, home that uh, pumps what they call HIDAC, which is a different kind of chemo, twice a day. So once every 12 hours. So I got through one of those rounds. Got sick, so uh, as it happens to a lot of patients that are receiving chemotherapy and are somewhat somehow immunosuppressed, I got a an intestinal infection called C. Diff. Um, that I that a lot of times travels around a hospital and only manifests itself in immunosuppressed patients, um, essentially destroying your intestines. So I dropped about 40 pounds and went back inpatient and they, you know, it was on this terrible um, combination antifungal antibiotic regimen to try to kill it. Um, luckily they did. And you know I stayed another 30 days in the hospital and then I got out this was the summer of 2009 and I was essentially just waiting for my counts to recover enough where they could continue with that third round of chemotherapy um, waiting 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 and essentially my marrow was depleted enough that that those counts never recovered and at that point the only the only course for um, for me being healthy, again, was a bone marrow transplant.
0: Okay. And uh, a bone marrow transplant, and I don't know if this is just myth, urban legend, uh, but I've always heard it is the most painful thing that you could possibly go through in anything like that. But beyond that, it's also very hard to find a match for your marrow, is it not?
1: Um, it is it is long odds to find a match, and uh, one of our one of our big missions for Swap Squad, and one of the most fun stories that we get to tell is we get to break that bust that myth that it's a painful process because it really isn't. Um, for for me, and the way that marrow. Um, uh, transplant is done and uh, so essentially what it's a stem cell transplant so they're taking a donor's stem cells and transplanting them into the the recipient Um, and essentially it works and in in the rudimentary way that has been explained to me and and the way that i try to explain it Um, it's like a safety net so um, you have a stubborn cancer that we're having trouble killing all of it with chemotherapy so we want to give you the maximum chemotherapy that we can give you. Um, Unfortunately, the maximum dose of chemotherapy that we can give you will permanently destroy your marrow. So it will be essentially a lethal dose. You will not recover from it. What then happens is they give you that lethal dose of chemotherapy and then introduce donor stem cells, which then hopefully engraft and travel into your marrow and those stem cells start producing healthy blood cells. And you're essentially rebooting your body. But it's allowing them to kill as much cancer as they can with a very, very high dose of chemotherapy. So that is the actual, you know, the hard part about
0: uh, stem cell transplant is that is
1: that chemotherapy that they give you to prep for it.
0: So uh, I know typically they look for a family member uh, to be able to match th- that marrow. W- what was the situation? Did you have a family member that was able to uh, come to your rescue there.
1: Well, I have one sister. Um, so if you if you think back to high school uh, biology, uh, the Punnett square, you have a twenty five percent chance of being a genetic match to your to your sibling. Um, of course, if you have a twin, then they would be the first place they look because they're an identical genetic match. Um, 25% chance, unfortunately, my sister was a willing donor, but was not a match for me. So at that point, um, that's the case for around 70% of blood cancer patients needing a match. They don't have uh, a family member. And so there is an international donor registry, which is essentially a computer database of, of people's DNA that have, that have joined the registry at, at an event like we have, where they've swapped their cheek and have said, in the event that I match a blood cancer patient, I would be willing to donate. So that's that search was initiated for me. Um, and within a short time, I was notified that, that I had a match, a 19-year-old girl in Germany who was willing to donate to me. So I was very lucky. The odds are extremely long. There's over 20 million people worldwide on these registries. And still, only about four out of 10 patients uh, end up receiving a transplant that need one.
0: And it doesn't work like a blood transfusion where the person has is there in the same room as you? I mean, it's a process where they have stem cells and they transport those. Is that it, how that it's works? It's
1: actually very similar to a blood transfusion, but... but um, no, they're not there. So she, so she was in Germany. Um, she sat down, and uh, there's two processes by which they are able to collect stem cells. One, one of which is used now, 75% of the time. It's a newer method. It's called PBSC or peripheral blood stem cell transplant. So peripheral meaning they're taking it out of your arm. So they give you. Um, a medicine leading up to it that boosts the production of your of your blood cells by your marrow, so they can harvest the maximum amount of cells, and then it's just like a lengthy blood donation. So four to six hours, you're awake. Um, they do it at at Oklahoma Blood Institute and different hospitals where it's a it's a fairly simple process. They just need an apheresis machine, so they're awake. You know binge-watching Netflix, and you have an IV in each arm. They take the blood out and run the blood through a machine that filters out the stem cells, send the blood back into your arm, and in that amount of time, they end up with this concentrated bag of stem cells, and that's actually what they use for transplantation. So she did that for me in Germany. They put it in a cooler, just like a kidney, and flew it to straight to Kansas City. And so they showed up the evening of September 9th, 2009, and... Hung it up like a bag of blood. It was almost like a non-event, you know. I had, I had, of course, that super round of chemo leading up to it, and a couple other different drug regimens to prepare me for it. But, it, but we kind of had to stop and, like, hey, this is a huge deal, and it feels like, you know, let's have a prayer, let's circle around, let's make sure that this has the gravity that it that it deserves, because after that, they just hung it, it and just like the, you know, dozens and dozens of blood transfusions that I had already received, and it went in through my port. And it went into my marrow, and now her cells are the ones that are producing my blood cells. So my blood type changed to her blood type. I have her blood allergies, um, and I have her DNA. My blood is her DNA. Oh, so wow. I'm kind of a, a, a combo creature.
0: Yeah, I didn't realize that it was that it changed things like <laughs> it's, that. It's
1: like science fiction. You would think, you know, blood type—that'd be the first thing that we have to match on. But it's actually not like that. It doesn't have to match at all. So I switched um, from B to A.
0: Wow, very interesting. And so now, after that, wh- I mean, do they do that, and then all of it, you're cured, or what happens at that point? Is it is there a process that you have to go through of recovery? Well, um, and-
1: so the so it's separate. Uh, it doesn't really have anything to do with my actual cancer, so I, I mean, in a sense, so um, the remission of the cancer is be is a result of the chemotherapy treatments, and the stem cell transplant is what allowed me to recover from those. So I've continued to be in remission. Um, it's been you know it's 2009, so I so I'm coming up on six year, my six year anniversary, which is great. Um, there are a couple of milestones. Uh, you know, the stem cell transplant itself is is very taxing on the body, and so. Um, for the first 100 days, I was under 24 hours, so after I got out from the hospital, which was a 35-day stay or so, I went home to a completely scrubbed uh, you know, condo, and my mom there for the next 100 days, uh, and so I was essentially under 24-hour surveillance just to make sure that nothing happened. I was still going back into the outpatient clinic um, every day, and they're checking my blood counts and watching for engraftment, which is, as I said... Um, uh, that's the that's what you're driving for with the transplant. So that's measured by them doing another bone marrow biopsy, taking a look at the marrow and c- physically counting how many of the cells are hers and how many are mine. So anything you know over ninety nine point something percent, they consider full engraftment. So that means the transplant worked. The donor cells are the ones that are producing. Um, so the the next milestone after after that thirty day stay is hundred days, and then one year, where most most patients that fail, fail within that time, and then five years is what they consider long-term remission. So, the chances that that specific cancer will come back is low enough that they consider that long-term. So, I've, I've just passed that milestone, which is great.
0: Yeah, that is great. And so, fast forward to 2013, uh, what prompted you to launch Swab Squad? Was it just, you know, I'm I'm healed, I'm better, and now I want to give back, or what was the, the thinking there?
1: Uh, Originally, it was um, uh, it was a survivorship project. So, I, I one thing that I knew is that I didn't know anything. I felt like I was a somewhat informed citizen. I didn't know anything about this before I was personally affected. And so I felt like that was probably the case for a lot of people. And, and, you know, I had a guy that was next to me in the BMT wing um, at KU that, you know, had a corporate job in Kansas City and we had pretty similar lives, and he never found a match. He never found him, so he never received a transplant. So they're just hoping that his remission remained from the chemo only, even though they knew statistically the best chance was to find him a match. So I knew that there was still a giant need, and just by that, you know, that big number that drives us, is that, is that four out of 10 number. So only 40% of patients that need a transplant are finding one. So the easiest way to attack that, um, I knew, was growing the registry. So um, I had this vague notion that I wanted to do something uh, with that. And one of the big drivers was that my coworkers at my company in Kansas City held a drive for me when I found out that I needed a donor. So before we had before the search had completed, um, they... Ha, you know, hosted a drive. And so they were swabbing my coworkers. And in two days they signed up over 400 people, five of which have didn't match me, but matched other patients. Oh, and donated. Great. So, so that was the feeling I was trying to redo. It's like, you know, these five people essentially, um, had uh, their lives were saved because of my ordeal. So I wanted to try to replicate that feeling and save other people, you know, make this feel like it was a it was a worthwhile endeavor. So um I was sitting with my friend Julie Porter and and I said, you know, I want to tell someone this because I feel like if I don't tell someone, that it'll just become this thing that I want to do, um, or maybe you can help me be accountable. And I said, you know, I told, kind of told her the story of, you know, this is this is how I think it would work, and I think there's a giant need here, and I think it's a it's a story that people would be really receptive to and surprised how easy it actually is uh, to join and donate. Um, and she said, I'll help you do that. So we, we started working together along with an, a, a small group of our friends and family, and you know, we started doing it, so it's been great. We've signed up um, over, I think we're over 300 people now, and we've had six uh, six potential matches. So initial matches of people. You know, we've had two matches from H and 8th and a match from Deluxe Winter Market. And um, uh, you know, it's it's just so cool. And and we have you know we're embraced by Oklahoma City and this in this thriving community and all these awesome events that we get to be a part of. And then you know, being able to give that feedback back, like. You know, hey, thanks for letting us be at H and Eighth. By the way, you may have saved a life because you know this person that wouldn't have otherwise been on the registry is now on it and is now a potential lifesaver for this person.
0: Yeah, and and you touched on it earlier, but the numbers, um, there's 20 million people on the on the list right now. But I mean, that's still not enough. And you talked about the four out of ten number so a lot more people need to be involved And in when we're talking about this you being at the events here locally h and 8th and some of the other uh, festivals people aren't signing up just to find a match here in Oklahoma i mean this is a worldwide thing somebody from h and 8th could save somebody's life in russia
1: yeah or you know germany my my donor came from germany so i had this essentially genetic match genetic twin in germany Um, you know, who knows? Uh, So she, her, she lived in a small town, uh, had a small girl that had leukemia and needed a transplant. And so people from town decided to join. And so you have to be, you have to be 18 to join. So we recruit between the ages of 18 and 55. Um, You're eligible to donate until your 61st birthday. So 60 is the highest age. and, you know, she had joined when she was 18 and within a year found out that she matched someone on the other side of the earth. And although it wasn't the reason that she joined, said, yes, you know, I'll I'll do this. And, and it's
0: made all the difference for me. That's great. If people want to want to find you, want to sign up uh, or get to the registry, there's a couple of different places they can look to to find testing and everything, not just when you're out at, at an event. So let people know where they can look for that.
1: Right. Um. So so the same process that we do every month at H and A and at other events around Oklahoma City, you can do it all online. So. Um, if you go to our website, swabsquad.org, um, there's a link that links you to Delete Blood Cancer's website, and they're, they're the donor center that we work with to recruit, um, and they actually do the processing and put the people on the registry for us. Um, they can do the entire process online, so you fill out the form that we have at events electronically in a web form, and then they mail you. Uh, two cheek swabs in the mail. You swab yourself, 30 seconds on the inside of your cheek, drop it back in the mail, and return it to them, and you're a potential donor. So you're on you're on the registry, and that's all it takes.
0: It's very easy, and uh, at no cost to the people that are that are doing that. Correct.
1: That's right. Free free to join, and then always free to the donor. So in the event you match a patient, and you know they need you to travel to a hospital or something, all of that cost is covered by the patients. Yeah, insurance.
0: Ever had a chance to talk to the uh, your donor from Germany?
1: I I have. Her name, uh, yeah, um, she uh, we're connected through Facebook. Oh, that's uh, great. Ger- Germans our first language, so um, we have a little bit of a of a barrier. But um, I have plans to meet her. Um, we're we're hoping that at some point we can go over and and take a film crew with us and do a meeting and and hopefully capture that and use that as a compelling. Um, a piece to help uh, recruit others for the registry. That's that's my goal. So
0: that's awesome. Do, do you hear? Are there a lot of stories like that where people are getting to meet their donors?
1: Yeah, and I, you know, I have this bond. Like she's she's. I I don't know. I sometimes I try to explain what that feels like. And and, you know, I've gone to like pulling someone in front of a bus as as the opportunity, but it's even it's even longer. Like if you think of the odds of, you know, only forty percent are getting a transplant out of those twenty million, it's like you're standing in a in a pool of a million people and you're the only one who can move and you're able to pull someone out in front of a bus. It's a pretty amazing opportunity and and I love the and one of the things that we really try to get across with swap squad is this one to one relationship. So Um, you know, with giving blood and other ways that you can do things um, that save lives, um, it's kind of this vague notion of saving lives where where marrow donation is this specific, cool opportunity to have this one-to-one relationship with someone. So I am inextricably linked to my donor that's on the other side of the world. And we're walking around in our own lives. But we both know what happened, and and you know, I, every chance I get, I try to thank her for that opportunity. But you know, PHI HIPAA reasons, um, and just for the sensitivity of of that time reasons, they put a waiting period. So. Um, there, you can give some anonymous information back and forth. So I got an anonymous letter from her about six months post transplant, but we weren't allowed to exchange information uh, until that year mark. And so then I was, uh, as the as the recipient, I was allowed to release my information, and then if she chose to reciprocate, could could then contact me, which she did. So, um, you know, when I got that letter through the hospital, that was, you know, one of the best days because I'm, you know, she finally get to like. Hey, this is who I am, and yeah. I'm the one responsible. And and, and and you're
0: a part of me now. And yeah, exactly. Sort of so, exactly. Wow, that's really cool. Um, it's September now when people are listening to to this particular show. I know you're going to be at H&8th in October, but there's going to be a special event going on in conjunction with that. Let people know what's going on. Right.
1: Um, so the October H&8th, which is Friday, October 30th, um, it'll be the last one of the year. Um, and just by chance, by luck, we I, I've been connected to um, a group of girls that are recruiting donors under the name Sharing America's Marrow. So SAM is the acronym, and that's uh, the girl's name. So she was diagnosed in high school with aplastic anemia, which essentially is another um, disease of the, of the marrow, so the only cure of which is a bone marrow transplant, and she doesn't have a match. Of those 20-some-odd million, they, they don't have a match for her. So her sister Alex and um, a couple of their friends said, hey, let's take a year, let's travel to all 50 states and recruit 50,000 people in 50 states in a year, for, to be as potential donors. So they're traveling to college campuses and concerts. I saw they're going to be at Bumbershoot in Seattle. And so they're in the middle of their, I think they're in Colorado today. So um, it just so happens that they'll be coming through Oklahoma in October, and it coincides with H&A in October. So we're going to team up together. Swab Squad and, and Sam will be recruiting uh, potential marrow donors, potential Lifesavers together at H&A in October on the 30th.
0: So that's great. So if you haven't been to h and Eighth, which is a great event, it's a great opportunity to get out. And more importantly, you can get out and uh, help Marshall and the Swab Squad. But you could have the potential to save somebody's life that night if you're a match for uh, Sam and th- this young lady that needs a marrow transplant and is traveling all over the country. So how cool would that be if you go out to h and Eighth to have uh, have a nice evening out and then you find out later that you saved somebody's life by being there and uh, participating with the swab squad. That would be an an incredible story to share.
1: We think it's a no-brainer. I mean, that trade-off of a cheap swab and potentially a lengthy uh, blood donation and saving someone's life, you know, potentially being their only second chance at life. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, that would that would be amazing. If someone that came out ended up being Sam's match, that would be fantastic. So we're easy to find at h and 8th We're always below the elemental sign of a big red tent and a 10-by-10 10 10 patch of always greener grass out front, and, and that's where we are.
0: So I hope people will come. All right. And, again, the website is swabsquad.org. And uh, also, they can follow you, Marshall, on social media. Uh, let people know what your handles are.
1: Uh, we're at Swab Squad on, on Twitter and Instagram.
0: And then um, you can just search Swab Squad OKC. I think we are on Facebook. Okay, very good. Once again, SwabSquad.org. Get out on October 30th at h and Eighth. Do your cheek swab maybe save somebody's life. Marshall, uh, it's been great having you in to share your story. Uh, We didn't touch on, but you also, uh, through that entire process, met a lovely young lady, got married, uh, what, just a year, just about a year uh, ago? Last
1: November, yeah. Yeah,
0: last November, uh, a young lady who we had the chance to talk to, uh, Brittany Matlock uh, from Plenty Mercantile. And uh, if you haven't listened to that story yet, you need to go back and find that show on Oklahoma Talking Co and listen to the story of uh, Marshall's wife. Brittany because it it is quite amazing in its own right but uh, you guys are a great couple and I'm I'm happy to know you and and you guys are doing great things on on a variety of levels
1: thanks Jason yeah we both come from these you know what could be viewed as as tragedies in our in our young lives and uh, you know a lot of times we try to focus on you know if those things hadn't happened you know if I hadn't uh, you know been diagnosed with leukemia, I would have never been back in Oklahoma City, I would have never met Brittany, you know, if, if Brittany hadn't gone hadn't gone through her diagnosis, and she would have never ended up back in Oklahoma City, she would have been off in Boston and working elsewhere, so, you know, we it led us to each other, and back here in Oklahoma City, our hometown, and around our family, it's pretty great, so I appreciate you having
0: me. Yeah, absolutely. All right, once again, one more time, swabsquad.org, and then get out October 30th uh, to h and eighth and do your cheek swab. We appreciate you taking the time to listen. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at OKC Show. Also follow the Oklahoma Talking Company at Oklahoma Talking. And you can find uh, both of those entities on Facebook. So please go like our Facebook pages. We could uh, use the likes and we put great things on there. Thanks for listening. I'm Jason Baffrey. We're out of here. This episode of the OKC Show is brought to you by OKMerch.com like me do you love music especially local music then go check out okmerch.com it is 100% locally owned and operated they offer vinyl cds digital downloads t-shirts posters koozies stickers and a whole lot more from all of your favorite local bands so go to okmerch.com right now and use the promo code okcshow to get a special offer check it out okmerge.com and remember to use the promo code OKC Show.
1: The OKC Show is a production of Destiny
0: Creative.